Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Happy 2021. We made it. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. And today we are going to continue a Strategic Whimsy Experiment tradition where we will talk about the films that have shaped our lives and uh, have influenced us in this past year looking back on 2020. This is one of my favorite episodes that we often do, and it's just a good way to reflect on the year, but also look ahead to the new year. I'm excited. Me too. It's always the best. And I'm always curious and intrigued about what the heck has made it onto your list. It's always so fun to see how you've ranked things, especially ones that we've recorded together. It's always fascinating. Yeah, and I've been trying to like think through, okay, what might Jen have her on her list <laughs> and what's going to be her number one? Because um, the first time we did this, we shared the number one. And then last year we had different films as our number mm-hmm. one for the year. So I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Especially films too that we've talked about, but that have not made either of our lists. Like those subversion of expectations is always just a joy. It's the best. Yep. This should be an interesting one for sure. (laughs) Yes. And uh, as I was putting together my list, I was looking back and curious, what the heck did we put on our list from last year? And it was fascinating to see the ones that I could distinctly remember and feel so confident that I knew, yep, those were on our list. And then there were some that were on my list and your list that I'm like, what? I completely have forgotten about those films. So it was cool to see which films have actually truly stayed with us and which ones, you know, were maybe important at the time or uh, were relevant and eye-opening and important to us then, but, you know, have been left in the past. Yeah, it's amazing how much uh, one year can can make such a big difference <laughs> in our lives, you know? Indeed, indeed. Okay, so I'm intrigued. Before we really dive into our lists, any reflections on how you created your list, what uh, criteria you used as you were scrolling through your letterbox, anything interesting that uh, you found as you were generating your list and curating it? So uh, this year, I am just going off of like, what are the films that I distinctly remember? Um, I'm, I, I think in the past, I, I really focused more on maybe like the technical achievements Mm -hmm. and like the writing and the cinematography and like all of these things. And then this year I just went, screw it. I don't care. I want to talk about the films that have really stayed with me and have Mm -hmm. like that I've carried through the year. And some of these I watched in like February and March and Mm -hmm. still I think about them often. Um, So I'm really excited to dive into those. Um, And just a few highlights from my list just like in general Mm -hmm. on my list I have two foreign language films I have three black and white films five of these we reviewed on the podcast and four of them are 2020 releases oh good 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 glad to see that 2020 still made yeah there are some good things (laughs) not a lot of good things but there are some good things (laughs) 
<laughs> That's awesome. I, I'm intrigued for, for them as we reveal them. Um, I, I typically curate my list in a somewhat similar fashion, which is there are films that immediately come to mind as I look back on the year. And so I jot them down very quickly. There are some that I have scrolled through Letterboxd and almost have forgotten that that happened in 2020. So that speaks to how long this year has felt. Um, I just assumed that that was at the end of uh, 2019 that we watched those. But actually, some of them did make it into our interval of time, which was um, awesome. And then as I was looking at my list, I was thinking about how several of these films, I think you know, were, were powerful for me, um, opened my eyes to new things or really stuck with me or moved me. And I, I, I really feel confidently that they would be even more powerful and have moved me more or been more immersive had I watched them in theaters. Not all of the films on my list fall into this category, but especially the ones that um, were really character driven, I think would have been more immersive had I watched it in a pitch black theater. And so as I'm thinking ahead to 2021, I was thinking about how do I still create that sense of immersion, given that we're watching things on our smaller devices, like maybe I need to watch more films at night where it can be more dark and I can turn out all the lights, um, turn off all my notifications, put my phone away and just focus on the story and kind of being like sucked into this world. Cause that's something that I I missed from from 2020 is the ability to just get lost in the worlds of these films. Um, so figuring out ways to still create that maybe a little bit more intentionally for 2021 is one of my reflections as I was looking at my list. I I love that. I love that you're you've identified a problem and then you are <laughs> trying to strategically come up with a solution to fix it. That's great. And I think you and I have had this conversation about okay, what are the films that we really feel like uh, we didn't experience as fully as we wanted to because we had to watch them from home. And I think that there are quite a few of those, but honestly, I expected there to be more of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. we both miss that theater experience, but I, I expected to miss it even more than I currently find myself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And one of the benefits of watching things on our streaming platform at home is that they we're able to, to watch them again and experience them again, um, notice new things, have it really like sink in with us a little bit more than we probably had the ability to. So trade-offs, trade-offs. Yep. Yep. We'll, we'll choose to focus on the, the positive aspect mm-hmm. of it and just try and improve. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So typically we start, I believe we start with our number 10 and we go to one, we do our honorable mention and like end with our worst film. I think with the way 2020 went, let's start with the worst film that we watched yes. end on a good note. Let's end on our number one film of the year. How oh, that's that? so fun. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So let's, without further ado, let's dive right in. I think before we dive in, we should clarify that um, our list is is made up of films that both Sarah and I have watched in 2020. So I know a lot of folks create lists of the films that came out in 2020 that they've seen, and ours is specifically the ones that we have watched. So there will be films that did come out in 2020, but many many that have uh, come out earlier as well. So 
Just a quick clarification there. All right. Without further ado, what was your worst film of 2020? <laughs> um, so I I have a tie for my worst film. Um, they are both Netflix originals, both of which came out in 2020. Um, and I think both of these are are horrible in similar ways in that <laughs> they could have and should have been better. Um, and I mm. think if these were told in a different way, then they would have been actually really, really interesting stories. But because of the way that these were created, they are crap. Um, so <laughs> my, my two are Hillbilly Elegy mm. and then The Last Thing He Wanted. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So Hillbilly Elegy we reviewed on the podcast. And yes. yes, many feels that you had for that film. Tell me more about the other one. I'm All right. So um, the last thing he wanted is, um, gosh, it, it stars uh, Anne Hathaway, Ben Affleck, Willem Dafoe, Rosie oh. Perez. Like, uh, like it's a oh. superstar cast. Yeah. But it's so bad. And so the it's based mm-hmm. off of a novel, and from what I've researched, the novel is very convoluted in its storytelling because the main character, um, her her thought process is kind of all over the place, and she's trying to like unravel this whole. I I can't even tell you the the main thing she's trying to unravel because the storytelling of the film is so so bad. So. It's like they tried to take the chaotic storytelling nature of the novel and squeeze it into a two-hour-long film, and it just doesn't make sense. And so that it's one of those that I wish they would have actually turned into like a seven-episode limited series, and then we could have spent time with these characters and gotten to know them and then fully understand the the complex things that she is trying to to unravel instead of just being dropped into this and not connecting to the characters not understanding her mission and just being confused for like two hours so it it's really unfortunate because it could have been great and it had all of the right pieces you know the great cast a great crew and it just doesn't work Mm. the the ability to choose a form properly yes. uh, is important, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like in this one. For sure. Chose the wrong form for this type of story. The, the, the unique parts of the story that it was trying to tell, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Dang, that's a star-studded cast indeed. Yeah. That's some money dropped there. <laughs> exactly. It came out early in the year and like Netflix didn't even promote it because it was so bad. Like, it just kind of, like, flew under the radar. Yeah. Fascinating. It's always interesting to see what makes a bad film. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So, typically, my uh, worst film choice is one that uh, should have been good, could have been good, but just really missed the mark. But the, like yours, the pieces were there. This year I went in another direction, which is this film was truly just terrible. And I think why I've chosen to elevate it to the status of worst film of 2020 that I've watched is also what it represents. So the film that I've chosen is Holiday. Yes. And the reason for it, it's also Netflix original. And I just, I think it's 
an example of laziness in storytelling. It's commercialism rearing its ugly head. It's a representation of like the mass amount of content that's produced by streaming platforms without the level of intentionality and just the lack of need to prove ROI the same way that, you know, a film that is created by a studio system with a theatrical release needs to do. And because that bar is lower, we get stuff like holiday. Um, So it was just a hot mess. I mean, a lot of films can be bad, but I, I usually can see where it was trying to go or at least a little bit of the intention behind it. This one this one was just a hot mess and there's so much that was so poorly done about it, both from the acting to the storytelling to the toxic messages. This just needs to be left behind in 2020. <laughs> I'm so pleased that you picked Holiday. I was hoping that you were going to pick it so that we could be like, ah, oh, this movie sucks. Uh, I'm so pleased. And what makes me more upset is that so many people watched it yes. too. So, man. Yeah, it should have way, way worse ratings than it has. Like, yeah. I can't believe that people enjoyed this. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So with that, we are leaving all the shit of 2020 <laughs> behind. Yes. We will now move to honorable mentions. This is always a fun category because it's the, the films that were good. They clearly stuck with us in some way, but didn't quite make the cut. Oh, man. Um, I don't even know where to begin with my honorable mentions. Do you want to go first? Ooh. Okay, so I have <laughs> There's one. There's so many. <laughs> uh, all right, so I chose this film um, to be an honorable mention because I was incredibly fascinated by the storytelling, the world building in this film. Um, it tackled a lot of really interesting concepts through its narrative arc, and it was done in a quite artful way. But it wasn't quite like top 10 list worthy. It wasn't a film that moved me deeply or opened my eyes deeply. But I just love that it was able to convey a lot of interesting concepts in a fun Hollywood entertainment kind of way. And so my honorable mention film is The Truman Show. Nice. And I think especially this film was fascinating to watch in the year 2020 when you know, we live in the era of fake news and this concept of truth, I think, is beginning to captivate our minds a little bit more this year out of all years. Just the search for truth and the difficulty of being able to uncover truth. And I think The Truman Show does a really interesting uh, job of unpacking that. And the the timelessness of it was also pretty fascinating to me. So uh, the Truman Show is my honorable mention film. That is a great honorable mention. The Truman Show is so fun. I'm so pleased that we were that we watched that in 2020. It was a great time. Um, All right. Oh gosh. Right. Okay. So I am going to. I'll say three honorable mentions. Okay. All right. So the first one that I would like to. Uh, uh, talk about is the lighthouse. Yes, ah, it's such <laughs> a bonkers film, and honestly, I'm still thinking about that foghorn that just plays every once in a while, kind of like a metronome to let you know that time is passing. 
Ah, it's just, it's so brilliant. This movie is insane. And Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson both give phenomenal performances. And it it's such a weird movie. And I'm so, so amazed that something like that can be made uh, in this time. So artsy fartsy, mm-hmm. so quirky. And it's in a category of its own truly a unique experience yes so good and just visually too so striking ah that's a good one um okay so then my second honorable mention is going in a very very different direction and that is palm springs um which came out in 2020 it's currently streaming on hulu um and it it's just it's such a fun film and you know, after being stuck inside in 2020 for so long, it was just, it's nice to find those films that are just fun and just joyful. And that's really what, what Palm Springs is. Um, and it has a a ton of heart. It, it has a lot to say and, um, it's just a really good time. It was great to be able to hang out with these characters for just a little while. And that is a rom-com. So look at that. We have yeah. rom-coms in our list. <laughs> I've heard really great things about that film. And it's interesting because from the marketing, it just looks like a holiday-esque type of movie. Like a you throw it on, you do your laundry. But I've heard a lot of really great things about it. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not like holiday. It's actually good. <laughs> so. Good. I, I would highly recommend checking that one out for sure. Okay. And number three. My third one is very different from these other two as well. And it is The Assistant, um, written and directed by Kitty Green. And it came out in 2019. It is also currently streaming on Hulu, I believe. Um, and what I loved about The Assistant is that it is so quiet and mundane and almost boring as we watch um, Julia Garner, who is the assistant, just go throughout her day. Um, And yet they were able to create such tension and such stakes as she is doing these little things. So it's just an exercise in subtlety. And it's one that you really need to pay attention to. Um, And there's a lot that you can get out of it if you do actually pay attention so it's it's so quiet so subtle but brilliant in many many ways you had me at quiet yes quiet films the last time we described a film like that was columbus and that was a gem of a film i believe it was on your list uh in 2018 Mm -hmm. i watched it in 2019 it made my list so (laughs) i am adding this to my list of films to watch yeah it's it's a really, really interesting look at, you know, our, our culture and our corporate culture and, and all of these different things. And yeah, it's just, it's so subtle. And Julia Garner does a absolutely phenomenal job just with like little body movements, little uh, like micro expressions and, and things she's able to communicate so much about what's going on. It's, it's very well done. Okay. Interesting. Most films today rarely fall into that category that mm-hmm. it's described as subtle. So yeah. 
That is interesting. Mm. All right. So let's move to our number 10 film that we watched in 2020. All right. Number 10. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can start. So this was a film that actually you had noticed on Netflix. It was advertised to you. You had texted me about it. I read the short IMDb summary online and was instantly intrigued. Uh, It is a thriller horror. Uh, So, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's tread carefully. Do we really want to watch this, Jen? Uh, But the social commentary aspect of it had me intrigued. And so Curiosity Killed the Cat and I had to watch this movie. And so my number 10 film is The Platform. Yes. So good. It is a really fascinating visual metaphor. And I think it uh, represents to me what film is able to do, which is open our eyes to things by using different uh, ways to communicate. And one of them, one of them is visuals. And the way that the platform uses the world of this hellish system, this prison system, essentially, to reveal and pinpoint the ugly sides of capitalistic society, of self-interested individuals, is really interesting. I think the narrative story arc uh, probably has um, some things that it could have done better, but the world building and the rules of this system is pretty fascinating to uncover and really intrigued me. So, uh, I mean, I love social commentary films, and this one definitely had some interesting things to say. It reminded me a little bit of why I chose Snowpiercer to be on a previous list of mine, just the way that a story and a film's world can show us things about our own systems and our own worlds and um, the social dynamics that are at play in our own worlds is pretty, pretty fascinating. So the platform is my number 10. That is a great pick. We had so much fun with the platform. <laughs> and I think that's one of those that was kind of enhanced uh, because we watched it in 2020 amidst everything that was being shaken up in our world. Yeah, some interesting uh, dynamics with it being at play in our COVID world and the call for folks to quarantine and stay home and how does our individual interests uh, sometimes, you know, be at play or be in conflict with the collective interest is one that the platform definitely explores quite a bit. So, Absolutely. Great pick. Great pick. Okay, what was your number 10? My number 10 is Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, <laughs> all right. Tell me more. I'm intrigued. Yes. I, uh, I'd i heard of Kramer versus Kramer before, but I had never watched it. And so just a couple months ago, I decided, okay, today is the day. And <laughs> this film left me speechless. I It, it won, what, five Oscars? And it absolutely deserved to win those. The The writing is so, so well done. And I, what I loved so much about this is that you are taken into this, this family's life in the midst of uh, a messy divorce, a separate or like a custody battle over this kid. And that's it. You know, the film isn't trying to like make this this greater 
point about about life, but we are just experiencing life with this family at this very, very difficult moment of time. And this is another one that I would uh, classify as very, very subtle. And it's it's quieter than I expected. Like knowing that it was about like a custody battle, I expected all of these like like passioned pleas for the kid and like these uh, eruptions of emotion in a courtroom. And you don't see that. It's like these two people who are just working through their crap and trying to figure out how to care for their kid. And it, it's so powerful. It's so intimate. And it's such a, a wonderfully small story that I just, I loved spending time with these characters for a couple hours. And the characters are so human. Like yes. you feel for both of them. You can see and empathize with, with all, even the kid, all of the, mm-hmm. all three of them together. Ah, uh, that's a good pick. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, number nine. Do you want to do you want to reveal yours first? No, you go ahead. Okay. So my number nine film is on my list because I just haven't seen a film like this in a long, long time, and I am uh, loving the fact that it was able to be made in the year twenty twenty. Uh, it is a black and white film with some stunning visuals, incredible dialogue, a layered portrait. I think you probably know which film I'm talking about at this point. Yes. It is Mank. Yes. Man, this is a film that I think it, it didn't necessarily move me deeply or open my eyes deeply or change me deeply, but the the execution of this film and the the level of craft that this film is able to display is just fantastic. I love that it exists. We want more of it. It was just so good in all different dimensions of the filmmaking process. And it had to, it had to make my list. And so my number nine film is Mank. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mank is wonderful. It's just the best. <laughs> we need more films like this in 2020 or 2021. Oh, yes. And I just, I love that David Fincher was finally able to make this movie the way that he wanted to. He had to wait so many years. And when he finally did, it, it definitely paid off. Yeah, indeed. The level of detail and yes. So good. Yeah. Love it. All right. What's your number nine, Phil? All right. My number nine is uh, Midsommar. Okay. <laughs> this, this isn't a film I haven't watched because I'm slightly terrified. It's, I'm going to just be haunted by it. Yeah. But tell me more. I don't know if you should watch it, Jen. But <laughs> um, gosh, it's, it is one of the most beautiful films that I watched in 2020, which is not what you would expect from a horror film, which this very much is. Um, but there are certain moments that I would, honestly, I would take some of the, the, the stills and frame them and hang them in my house because they are so beautiful and the cinematography is wonderful. There's so much like bright, vibrant colors that you see throughout and everything is just placed and framed perfectly. Like it's just, it's, executed with such precision and then of course Florence Pugh is the main character and she is just a force to be reckoned with 
and she is such a a physical actress and you can just feel her presence everywhere she is and the way that she she takes up space in in the film is just so interesting. She she really commands your attention when there's so much going on. She does a great job, very very well written and directed by um, Ari Aster, and it's just it's a beautiful film. I still don't know if you should watch it, Jen, because there are like some <laughs> really like gross moments, but it is a beautiful beautiful film. Well, your description of it and review of it has me intrigued. So. <laughs> We'll we'll see. I've heard that there's one scene in particular somewhere in the middle that is especially one to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a couple scenes that I would be like, oh, Jen, close your eyes. <laughs> Don't watch this. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's such a fascinating film. I remember it getting a lot of chatter um, in 2019, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I remember a lot of people talking about it. Um, even just, you know, friends and coworkers would would rave about this film. And so mm-hmm. it's clearly captivated a lot of people's attention. Yeah. Mm. It's it's I, I feel like it's it's similar to Mother, which I also loved yeah. and you hated. Um in in that like it's 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 a different type of horror film. And I, I love that. Like, I'm not a big horror person, but I can get behind these types of horror films because they're just, they're, they're different. They're beautiful. They're unexpected. Um, and they have something to say. Interesting. Yeah. They're not going for just the, yeah, the shock yeah. factor, the adrenaline, the sweat dripping. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit more depth to it. Interesting. It's an interesting comparison to Mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so which is also why I'm like, oh, I don't know if you should watch yeah. Midsommar. <laughs> you know, I survived Mother and I felt like I could conquer the world after that movie. So, <laughs> Yeah, maybe Midsommar is like the level two. Like we're, we're leveling up a little bit here. That's the film that I will not watch at night with the lights all turned out. I do not want to immerse myself in that one. Yeah, no well, way out. And like Midsommar is so it's so bright and it's so colorful for being a horror movie, which is so fascinating. Like the juxtaposition mm-hmm. is wonderful. I mean, the movie poster alone mm-hmm. is intriguing. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, are we on number 8? We are on number 8. Okay. So, my number 8 film um is one that we reviewed recently and there is so much meaning behind the film itself. The intimacy with the characters was a unique experience. It's one that I, I find that we don't get very often. Um, this is an important film. I loved our conversation about this film, and it is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I love that this film was made and released on a streaming platform. I It's hard for me to see how a film like this may have been funded in a you know, traditional theatrical release studio system. But I love that this film exists. There's so much that we're able to uh, sit with, just being with the characters. And for so many films that we watch, um, they tend to be plot-driven and action-driven, and you see the characters make uh, decisions out in the world. And for this film in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we just spend time with their stories. And the way that this was able to reflect a lot of reality and how we get to know and sit with and do life with people. I just, I loved 
so much about this film and it's an important one and um, it's one that I think I will remember and take into the future. So Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is my number eight film. Oh, absolutely. Such a phenomenal story. And like you said, it's like, it's so intimate. I love just spending time with those characters. Yeah, exactly. And that level of intimacy that they were able to cultivate without creating claustrophobia in this one, uh, you know, band room, maybe two rooms, uh, was was a fascinating filmmaking feat as well. I mean, that is Mm -hmm. challenging to do, and they were able to pull that off. Um, I can't say enough about Chadwick Boseman's monologues, just like the the acting itself, but also how much it meant um, his career, his conviction. You see all of that in such a raw form. It's just a a special piece of work. Oh, indeed. Yeah. There, there's so much of, of Ma Rainey that I think is, is perfect, honestly. Yeah. Like just everything worked together so well. And I don't know, it, it was that, that level of excellence that you don't always see, especially in films produced by a streaming service. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those gems that come in from Netflix along with holidays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How can one like service produce both both of those things? Yep. <laughs> Baffles me. All right. What was your number eight film? All right. My number eight is Hamilton. Um, I really I, I struggled with where to put this because <laughs> the I I love the the soundtrack and honestly like I listened to it obsessively um when when we were forced back into our homes and I had to start working from home like it was on pretty much like all day every day to help me get through my day and then when we got to actually see it uh I was I was blown away I watched it so many times during that first (laughs) month because I I just I love the musical I love what it what it represents and it it's really um rare to have mm-hmm. a stage play filmed in this way and you can tell that the director really really loved the medium and wanted to showcase how beautiful the show was and everything just just works together to enhance the show so like while I'm bummed that that I, I couldn't go see this live in the theater. I, I love that I was able to still get the experience from my home. Mm. Yes. And my goodness, we needed that jolt yes. of feel good, positive, uh, energizing piece of art yeah. at that time for that moment in time. We really did. And yeah. I feel like Hamilton is one of the few things in 2020 that that seemed to captivate everybody's attention at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. like when it, when it came out, I, I, all over my social media, it was like, Oh my gosh, Hamilton. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. We're all part of a collective something for once. This is great. It's the 2020 version of a Marvel release. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is a piece of art and the level of intention they had in, in the casting choices mm-hmm. that, that too, that that level of detail and intentionality is so good. Yeah, yeah, Ugh, such a such a good one. I love it. 
All right. Um, my number seven film is For Sama. It was released mm. in 2019. This was recommended to me by Omar, who we've had on the podcast in the past to review the film Capernaum. And my goodness, I don't even know where to begin with this film documentary. I, I think it would fall in the category of documentary. Um, this was essentially filmed by a woman. She is a journalist. Um, she's married to a doctor. They live in Aleppo, Syria. And for months, uh, she has filmed her life going through all of the turmoil of the fighting and the daily explosions and the pain and the grief around her. She started by uploading a lot of that, a lot of her footage to YouTube as a way to, um, you know, a cry for help, honestly, and a way to get the international audience to pay attention. And this is, I believe, like a, a one hour and a half to two hour collection of all of the footage that she has uh, captured. And I think what really was striking about this is just how much the raw, unfiltered, unproduced look into a, a another human's life is able to be so powerful. And you know, it ca it captures, you know, a lot of the grief and the, the, the trauma and the hellish environment that she's living in. But I think what was striking to me is that it also captured a lot of the sweet, intimate moments that she had with her husband, um, capturing, you know, the stages of her pregnancy. And just that look at both the tragedies of life, but also these bittersweet moments and the, the, the things that we cling on to as humans for hope and to keep us going. It is just, I don't even have words to describe this. It is so powerful um, and just so visceral to go through that experience, feel like we're going through that experience with her in a unfiltered, raw way. I mean, it is a piece of work. I remember you you telling me about this and like oh my gosh you have to watch it. So I'm I'm very excited to dive into it one of these days. Yeah, it be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so so good. I mean, I d I honestly don't have words to describe it, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll watch it in 2021 and we can review it at some point. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. What was your number seven film? My number seven is The Platform. Um, oh. <laughs> I was wondering if this was going to make it on your list mm -hmm. or not, actually. Yeah, it had to. It's, oh my gosh, for all the reasons that you said and more, it is a absolutely beautiful film. And, you know, they're they're isolated to one location and yet they're able to expand it as we go along throughout the film. Like there is so much more to it than meets the eye, keeps you interested in and captivated. And I, I still remember very vividly them uh, trying to get the, the panna cotta and trying to protect the panna cotta. And they put yeah. so much meaning into this simple yet beautiful dessert. And, you know, I, I felt emotionally attached to a dessert <laughs> and just the, 
the immense writing to make me actually have an emotional connection with the dessert. Like that's impressive. So it's it's a beautiful film, well worth watching. What a joy. Yeah. It that movie I I felt like the the day that I watched that movie, the rest of the hours of that day, I was just like I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> yeah. Just experience something so traumatizing but powerful and fantastic and my brain wants to unpack all of the metaphorical mm. symbolism of it it was there's so much to to chew on yeah oh what a great one so good okay number six yep all right so my number six film is a spike lee joint yes. as they call him love spike lee he is a artist and creator with so much conviction and so much purpose. And we saw all of that on full display in The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. And I think what uh, really captivated me about The Five Bloods that I, I also um, found really powerful in his film uh, Black Klansman is the way that he's able to communicate a message open your eyes to things, teach you things without being preachy and still being able to create a work that is fun, entertaining, and we are along for the roller coaster ride. That is a hard thing to do. And I think a lot of films that have a higher message and purpose often rear too much on one end and it feels like, okay, we're being manipulated. I get what you're trying to say, but it's a little too pushy. Spike Lee is able to balance both entertainment with uh meaning and purpose and that's a that's a hard thing to do and so this is a film that I feel like really opened my eyes to new things and taught me new things while also I was having a grand old time along the way so loved the five bloods it was such a joy I'm so happy that you have this on your list because it's not on mine. And so I was like, okay, Jen has to have this on her list so that we can talk about it because I want to talk about it. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, honestly, I'm still haunted by Delroy Lindo's uh, Mm. monologue when he's kind of like starting to lose it. (laughs) I am still like, oh my gosh, like he is phenomenal in this film. And I just, like you said, Spike is such a good storyteller. Oh my gosh, he was able to fit so much into that film and it didn't feel overwhelming. It didn't feel like the story got away from him. It was so well done. Yeah, I remember us reviewing this film and talking about how many themes he was able to weave in without losing focus. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times films that tackle a lot get a little bit lost and Spike Lee has this ability to weave them all seamlessly together, uh, create interesting characters that are engaging and fascinating to follow. Yes, so much about this was so good. Ah, uh, yes. Can't wait for more Spike Lee. I know, right? <laughs> the world needs more. He is so talented. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, what was your number six film? My number six film is Mink. Ooh, okay. I know you loved, 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 loved this film. And you were so excited for it too. And so I'm so glad it lived up. So I was so pleased with it. but And the score has uh, entered my regular writing rotation. So that's great. I'm just hanging out with the Mink soundtrack just all the time. Um, But this 
I mean, all the things that you said, but the, the thing that I just, I can't let go of, and I raved about it when we talked about it, when we reviewed it, and I'm going to rave about it again, is that scene where Charles Dance is walking Gary Oldman out and telling him the uh, organ grinder's story. It's just perfection absolute perfection every part of it from from the angles to the the people scattering to the music like even like charles dance's height with gary oldman's <laughs> five eight frame is just perfect because he's gliding down this hallway telling this story in his booming voice and it mm-hmm. just is perfection I, I i don't feel like there are many times when like a scene stops me like that and where i'm just like oh my gosh, this is so important. This is so well done. But man, I could just watch that scene over and over and over again. And it just shows the the perfectionist that is David Fincher. And <laughs> it absolutely pays off. This is a film that I think it would be so fun to revisit again in the future, again and mm-hmm. again. It yeah. is, it is going to be timeless and it's going to be good 50 years from now. Absolutely. Yep. So good. I knew Meg was going to be somewhere on your list. I was waiting. It to had see to one. be. It had to yep. be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're at number five. We're halfway through our list. Yes, we are. Uh, we're getting into the the juicy stuff. These <laughs> last the, the top five films of twenty twenty watched. Okay, so my number five film is one that came out in twenty nineteen. Uh, it was. Written, directed, and uh, starred Shia LaBeouf, um, and it is Honey Boy, and it is about the relationship between an alcoholic, abusive father with his son, and it's a this film was written by LaBeouf while he was going through rehab, and it started out as just a way for him to process his childhood and his trauma and has turned into a work of art. Now, there are critics that um, have kind of criticized him for doing that and kind of exploiting his story for art and, you know, commercialism and whatnot. But what what that represents to me, at least, is the way that art can be so healing. And, And it's fascinating because LaBeouf plays his own abusive father and just the complexity of those dynamics, the complexity of the love-hate relationship that you see that the son has with his father is, is, is explored in such an interesting and, and uh, nuanced way. Um, a lot of scenes in Honey Boy go back and forth between this almost like dreamlike sequences to these jolts back to reality. Um, and it doesn't, it's not an overly dramatized view of what we often see in films things like in hillbilly elegy there is a lot of nuance and i feel like labeouf really draws on his own experiences in order to paint this this more complex picture than just the archetypes and stereotypes that we often see it's a really powerful film and it was um unexpectedly good when i watched it interesting yeah like i've had Honey Boy on my list. I've just never gotten around to actually watching it. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Yeah. The backstory I think is particularly fascinating mm-hmm. about this film. 
yeah, yeah. Knowing all that backstory makes me want to watch it even more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, what was your number five? My number five is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Ah, yes. I knew this was going to be on your list yeah, somewhere. It had to. <laughs> and I mean, we already talked about it. Phenomenal performances are just stunning. Um, one of the things that I I love about it is the um, the rhythmic nature of it all, from the um, from the dialogue to even like the ambient sounds in the room. There's just a rhythm about this, and um, one of my favorite things is when you know, Levy just keeps trying that door in the band room and he just keeps circling back to that thing over and over and over again. And then when he finally breaks through that shot of his, his disappointment as he hits another wall is just so powerful in addition to, I mean, just the whole thing, just watching him kind of unfurl and just kind of implode upon himself is, man, it's incredible. And I, I really, really hope that this movie makes a sweep at the Oscars. You know, there, yes. there are so many good movies that we loved that did come out in 2020. But there's something so special about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I hope that it gets the, the critical um, attention that it deserves so that hopefully more people will watch and engage with this because it's such an important film. Yes, I hope that. We are going to talk about this film more as yes. Oscar season yes. descends upon us in the next four months. Yeah. This deserves so much recognition. Yeah. And more eyeballs. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And the, the great thing is that it is on Netflix. And so, I mean, we're going to go on a slight tangent here, but most a lot of the times when films are nominated, you know, the theaters will play them for, you know, the week or a few days before the actual Oscars. But now I think that a lot more people may go out to see the Oscar nominated films, just pure accessibility with the streaming platforms, which is kind of unique about this year. Yeah. Yeah. I really think so. And I Again, I think that this is a positive thing of this mm-hmm. streaming moment is that hopefully yeah. more people will be able to engage with these really, really powerful works of art. And hopefully that will that will lead to, you know, thinking about these concepts and talking about these concepts that really, really do need to be, you know, dealt with and, and grappled with. Yeah, completely agree. All right. So number four. My number four film is actually one that I watched um, in the last few days of 2020, so it just barely made the cut. Um, It has been on my list to watch for a long time. There is this small theater in Pittsburgh, um, and they always played these artsy-fartsy films. There's like only three screening rooms in there. It's tiny. And... I remember seeing the movie poster for this film and being captivated by it. But after uh, watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I had to go and watch this. And it is Fences, released in 2016, directed by Denzel Washington. He and Viola Davis are both stars in this film. It's also an August uh, Wilson play that has been adapted to the big screen. 
I'm so excited for the rest of the eight that are going to be releasing in the next however many years. Fences was, my goodness, just such a powerful two hour and a half long film. I think a lot of films tend to be about um, fantastic people, whether both in the positive direction or in the negative direction, uh, people with big dreams that do big things. And Fences is a small story about a working class family who go through a lot of ordinary problems. Um, They aren't these like big fantastical stories about a big journey. It's a lot about family dynamics and marital strife and the strange relationships between uh, parent and children. My goodness, this is a this is a powerful film. Viola Davis is incredible in this film. Her acting is so raw and authentic. I can't recommend this enough and. It's one that I want to watch and re-experience again. Um, But Ma Rainey's Black Bottom just really ignited uh, and moved this film up to the top of my watch list. And it just barely made it before the end of 2020. Nice. Yeah. Fences is another one that's, it's on my list. I just haven't watched it yet. So um, I'm going to have to dive in. Yeah. I'm excited for you to watch it and hear all your thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, at this point, anything written by August Wilson, I'm I'm down. Yes, and I'm so excited that there's more. Yes, more coming. Ugh. Yes, come on, Denzel. We we want all these things that you're going to produce. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. What was your number four? My number four is the forty year old version. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. So this okay, this is a a Netflix original. It came out in 2020. And it follows the story of Rada Blank. She is a uh, playwright, and uh, she she experiences kind of a, a midlife crisis. Like she doesn't know what she's doing with with her life, and she ends up becoming a rapper. Um, and her rap name is Rahadimus Prime. And this this film is so fascinating. It's it's filmed in black and white, which I absolutely loved. Um, and we're just kind of taken into Rada's life as she's she's processing through these different things. And um, it's it's both really, really funny, but also really, really sorrowful at the same time. And it it, it kind of maintains that balance between the two. It's so witty the way that it's it's written. She's a phenomenal rapper, and the fact that she can sort through her feelings through rap is fascinating to me. Um, and then it also gets at um, the the white gatekeepers of like the theater world. And so you see her trying to get this this new play up and out, um, and she keeps having to make changes to it in order to appease the powers that be. So there's just, there's so much packed into this film. It's, it was a really, really fun time to just spend with her in the middle of, of her life. You know, it was another one of those intimate uh, kind of films where we're not going on a grand adventure. She's just trying Mm -hmm. to figure out who she is in the middle of New York city. And it is that it is a comedy drama, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. 
Interesting. I love that I can go and watch this like today, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm fascinated. The movie poster is intriguing. I remember seeing it and just like, what is this about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Our number three film. Yes. Making our way up to the top. So my number three film is one that, honestly, it was just a grand old time. Came out in 1974. I had seen the first of these three films and finally got around to watching the second one. And I just, I love this genre of mafia films. And so my number three film is The Godfather Part Two. Nice. <laughs> yes. Honestly, it one is a sequel that was actually good, so lots of points for it. But I think it just had such great storytelling, really fascinating um, character arcs, the interweaving of all of the different plot points and um, the backstabbing and betrayals and paranoia it was all in there. Um, it was just a good time. Uh, from a filmmaking perspective, they hit so many of the marks so well. And what was interesting is that a lot of this film is almost mystery-like um, without revealing too much. Essentially, someone has betrayed Michael, who's the new Don. And the entire first half to like, you know, one and a half parts of the films, you're just unpacking and waiting to see who it was that betrayed him. And so the way that this film was able to build tension and bring us on this roller coaster ride was absolutely fantastic. It reminds me a little bit of the experience of Knives Out, where it just was all executed so well and was so much fun. And so Godfather Part Two is my number three film. Never thought that I would be saying that <laughs> uh, type of film would be on my number three, but here it is. You know, what a year. I mean, it's, it's good fun. It's so good. I just I love that this is your number three, and I I I really appreciate that you love mafia movies. It's great. Oh, love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is a uh, great documentary on Netflix. I gosh, I forget what it's called. Something like the Four Families or something like that. Um, but it unpacks both the rise of the mafia in New York and also the untangling of them and the final conviction of the mafia families. Ooh. So that also came out in 2020. Didn't make it on my list, but it was a it was a great watch and a lot of fun if you're into that stuff. Very interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was your number three? <laughs> my number three film is very different. Um, it is First Reformed. Um, it came out in 2017, uh, stars Ethan Hawke as a priest who uh, is, is just trying to figure things out. Um, it is written and directed by Paul Schrader, who is a wonderful, wonderful writer. He, he wrote Taxi Driver. Um, and so uh, this is another one that's, that's pretty quiet. It's, it's pretty intimate. It's kind of slow, um, but it's also it. The end is kind of bonkers, which I just love. Um, 
but you're just taken into the the lives of these people as they're just trying to work it out. Everybody is flawed. Everybody is really screwed up. But they're just trying to find connection. And so I think in in 2020, mm-hmm. when we were all so disconnected from each other, um, it it was nice to watch these people just search for connection, even though sometimes I was like, oh, hey, that's really unhealthy. Let's not do that. Um, it was just an intimate time with these very, very, very human characters that are all so complex as they're dealing with all kinds of things that happen in life. Interesting. So there's a pattern of films that you love, which is they start out quiet and subtle and the end is just absolutely nutso. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing a theme. First first reform (laughs) definitely like, I was like, oh yeah. Follows that format. This is so quiet. This is, this is nice. I like this. And then the end, I was just like, whoa how did we get here (laughs) yeah I love it it's 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 fascinating as I'm as I'm thinking about the films that are on our lists and how we're describing them there's a lot of intimate character driven human films yep um reflecting the times oh for sure most definitely (laughs) so my number two film is one that At the time while experiencing this, I didn't think it was going to be so high on my list. Uh, But alas, I just, it had to be here on my number two. And and as much as I thought about where this should go, I think it feels right to be number two. And it is Hamilton. (gasps) Yes! I am not an avid musical lover. um, And I'm actually surprised that this is so high on my list. But there's so much about Hamilton that was done so well. And I think that what I love about Hamilton is also just how much the masses have flocked to and appreciated and recognized this unique piece of work. And I think it speaks to so much about, uh, you know, our our human desires to uh, be entertained, but also to have hope. Um, Hamilton explores a lot of really interesting concepts that are relevant for the current times and I'm sure will be relevant into the future. Things like leaving a legacy, things like um, morality, things like fighting for things larger than ourselves. Um, A lot of the ways that it's able to comment on and uh, be self-aware about our past as a country and the ways that we have kept a lot of people groups and people of color oppressed there's just so much that Hamilton is able to do in all dimensions from the entertainment value side all the way to its cool factor but also it's very apt and uh witty and wise commentary about our country's past and where we're going just so good and I love that across the board so many people have recognized and loved this as much as it should deserve. So Hamilton is my number two. Oh, I'm so surprised <laughs> and so pleased. Yeah. I've surprised myself as well. <laughs> but here we are. It's wonderful. It feels right. It does. Well done. Yep. All right. And what is your number two film? My number two is Francis Ha. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. Came out in 2012. Um, written... Uh, by Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig and it was directed by Noah Baumbach stars Greta Gerwig and it's just such a fun light-hearted film um, 
she is so quirky and and funky and just feels so real and she's silly and spontaneous and creative and all of these things but it's not like overly happy there is this like deep sadness and this like melancholy that also flows through this so it's it it felt kind of a fitting escape in 2020 as so much was going on it was nice to be able to escape with her but not feel like I was engaging in something like frivolous or stupid it was just a great time to just spend with her even though she's imperfect she annoyed me at some times but she was just such a real character and of course I love Greta Gerwig love Noah Baumbach so it was just a fun little quirky film I remember starting this film once upon a time, and I haven't ever finished it yet, but I'm fascinated. Both of those two creators have such an interesting uh, vibe and atmosphere to their films, so I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this definitely um, fit that, like, quirky creative side of me was just, like, overjoyed by this film, so hmm. it's a, it's a great time. Number two on your list as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, number two, one, num- number one film that we have watched in 2020. Let's do it. I'm really curious if we picked the same one. I'm curious as well because there are two films that I know you loved uh-huh. and I thought would be on your list, but alas, there is only one more spot. Ooh. So, I'm curious. About whichever one doesn't make the list. <laughs> okay, so um, my number one film, which I was surprised that uh, I watched this in 2020. I actually thought I watched this at the end of 2019. But alas, it turns out I watched this on February 24th. So I was so pleasantly surprised that I could add this to my list. It's the film that came to mind immediately when creating this list. And it is the portrait of Lady on Fire. Yeah. Is this your number That's one? my number one too. Oh my God. Wow. Look at that. We've, we've uh, repeated our 2018 <laughs> uh, same number one spot. Man. Okay. So I was intrigued at whether this or I'm thinking of ending things. I was waiting for where that would fall on your list. Yeah. I... I really enjoyed I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It's so funky, so weird. Charlie Kaufman is just a weird person. Um, But honestly, it wasn't as memorable to me as so many of these others were. Um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, like, after I had, because I didn't go off of Letterboxd this year when I made my list. I just started like, okay, these are the movies that I'm still thinking about. And I'm Thinking of Ending Things, I remembered, like, days after it's just it it just really didn't talented. stay with me like i yeah. i loved the experience it's really really well done but it just didn't hit me like so many of these others did mm-hmm. yeah that's usually quite telling there's a reason that the films are really inspired moved changed us we were captivated by come to mind they just start you know popping up in our minds and i have to like furiously type on my notes app mm-hmm. um to get down and there's probably a reason this one didn't come to mind okay so portrait of lady on fire my goodness i just remember watching this and being 
blown away. I felt like I experienced something so special. The use of silence in this Mm -hmm. film, we gushed about on the episode (laughs) where we reviewed this, but there's so much that's just perfect about this film. Um, I don't even know how to describe it, to be honest, but it's, I think, I remember at the time, it's a film that really reignited all that I loved about film as a medium and the way that it could suck us in, help us walk with new people and characters for two hours and we leave the theater changed. And this film, I think, was one that really reignited my love for film um, back in February. And I just have, it's it's an unforgettable film for me. Oh yeah, me too. And I, this is the last movie that I, I saw in theaters too. So that's mm-hmm. also yeah. just like a fun part of it. But man, I, what I love so much about this movie is, is how the, the, the writing and the cinematography paired so perfectly together because mm-hmm. it, the writing leads you along where the story is going to go. And so from everything, like the, the fact that we start out with, with learning that how you place your hands tells you something about your character. And then, then you're watching people's hands and then, and then they're talking about how, you know, the, the, the line of your neck or the line of your jaw, the, the, how difficult it is to to sketch an ear like all of these different things and then and then that's how um Heloise is unfolded we can only see her neck then we can only see her jaw we can only see her ear before we can finally see her face like ah it's just so perfect the way that everything just builds upon each other and you're just immersed in the way that an artist sees the world and oh my gosh it's it's stunning it's yeah, it's it's perfect in so many regards. It's so good. And the way that it, it's it really is a slow burn. The way that mm. it's able to string us along in this like building tension and almost this inevitable doom that you know that they are not going to be able to be together. Mm-hmm. And then the, the ending and just sitting with her for that long as heck credit scene where you feel both her pain, but also her joy and, and gratitude and having experienced a love like that, like uh, sitting with all of those emotions. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a great film. And it's one of those that I, I wish that more people um, yes. had seen, but it's also one of those, like anytime I talk about it, I feel like I have to give a disclaimer of like, okay this is an artsy fartsy french film so this is not for everybody like it's like i have to remind myself like not everybody's going to love this and that's okay because the people that this movie is for will absolutely adore it Mm -hmm. yes exactly you know it's funny because we said the same thing about phantom thread which was our yes both of our top film of 2018 they're they're kind of in my mind they they are cut from a similar Mm -hmm. yeah of yeah, level of masterful creation. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you know, February felt so long ago too that I was yeah. like, oh, that was in 2020. Okay, I'm so glad because it's the one that came to mind first and I wasn't sure if it would make the cut. 
Yeah, Portrait of the Lady on Fire, like, the minute that, like, I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to be my number one. Like, it was no question. (laughs) Nothing was going to be able to compete with that. And nothing did. Mm -hmm. Nothing lived up to it for the entire year. And it's always a fun game to see, like, will something knock Mm -hmm. it out of its place and become the new number one? (sighs) Nothing did. Nope. Man. It's always a fun exercise to look back on all of the films that we watched in 2020, especially kind of scrolling through my letterboxed and seeing, oh, I forgot about that one. I can remember what was going on in the world at the time or, you know, us watching uh, Contagion and the Flu back <laughs> yeah. in March. Like there's just these um, mile markers in a way. And it's fun to think about in 2021, what will end up on our top 10 list mm-hmm. by the end of the year? Yep. We have a whole world of possibilities yes. out there. Mm-hmm. A whole 365 days of great <laughs> stories. Yes. Always a fun, fun exercise. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a fun way to, to just remember the year. Mm-hmm. Me too. Agreed. And be excited about what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. There's supposed to be some good stuff in 2021. So We'll see, you know, maybe some of the stuff that was bumped uh, from 2020, we'll finally get to see. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, I'm intrigued. And what and what themes will emerge of Mm -hmm. the films that have captivated us in 2021? Yeah, different every year. It's always different. Yeah, I don't think that last year we had as much of a theme. But in 2020, I think we can both clearly see. just those intimate, small, personal, character-driven stories were really, really what captivated us this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of quiet and subtle came out of your mouth this year. Yes. <laughs> Describing Which, your film. Hey, I'm I'm all for that. So I'm on the hunt for some more quiet and subtle movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. Shall we wrap up? Let's do it. Okay. I love this tradition that we have every year and uh, we hope that you guys will all be along for our journey in 2021 as we watch, review, talk about, gush at, roast the films that we'll we'll consume in 2021. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Uh, We will include in the show notes um, our top 10 lists uh, so that you can check them out. Um, maybe watch some of the films and let us know where they fall on uh, your list of films. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your days. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Let us know your thoughts about our lists that we have gone through today, and let us know what your top films from the past year have been. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. 
We want to thank you all for being along with us on this journey in 2020, for listening, and we're excited for more films, more stories, more conversations together in 2021. We will be back next week to kick off the year discussing the new Disney Pixar film, Soul, which apparently has some, some great, great reviews about it. So excited to dive into that. We hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll see you soon.